Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. All right. That was funny. First time I saw that, very accurate. The consultant part, I really understand that. Wow. Oh, these, I Ashley picked these three pictures. They're my family pictures on the left. That's my dad, mom. I'm the baby in my mom's arms. It's my brother and sister. Don't worry about them, but anyway. And it's, on the right, this is my father and I standing together over in Lakewood back in 60, 60 probably, 60 or 61, somewhere around there. And in the middle, we jumped in a, a photo booth when I was 10, and uh, that's my dad. I lost that picture for... I don't know, like 30 years, something like that. Didn't even, I didn't even know I had it, really. And uh, my son-in-law found it sitting outside. I have no idea how it got there. It was one of those little photo booth shots, you know. I got it. I really treasured it. Got it cleaned up a little bit so you could see. But the weird thing was when I saw that picture, I could smell my father's leather jacket. He had a leather jacket. It was really weird how, how your memories are attached to Uh, your senses, you know. So I've cherished that. I've replicated it a thousand times so I can't lose it at all, you know. So it's just a great memory of my dad who passed away in 02, and I think he's doing really well. In fact, strangely enough, we're a prophetic church, and we get weird things that happen. And it was probably about three years, three years ago, I had a dream of my dad uh, in heaven. And I actually walked through his house and it was a very nice house, and he was living in Hampstead, England. And I thought, well, that's weird, you know, he never even, never even went to England, and, and, uh, and Hampstead means homestead. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of strange, you know, so I put that, put that up, and immediately my niece uh, called me and said, she said, uh, Steve, did you know that we were bidding on, on Pawpaw, which is my dad, uh, Pawpaw's homestead? The house he lived in in Louisiana, which was a had a kind of a sizable property and a little lake on it, and you know, and everything. And I said, "No, I didn't know that." And I, she was actually in the dream with me uh, that I had. So I told her the dream. You know, she's she was overwhelmed by it. She said she was weeping from it. And she goes, "Well, we put an offer in on it. I don't know what's going to happen." I said, "Oh, I feel like it's going to come through because that was a weird dream." And I think Papa would want you to have that, you know. And sure enough, the next night I was preaching in Canada. And um, I got a buzz on my phone as I was telling that story. Because the story was just from the week before. And she said, we got the home. And so I, as I, that was the conclusion of my story to the congregation. I said, oh, I just got a text. I mean, people think these things are set up. I said, I just got a text. She got the house, actually. Now, they went wild. They don't know her. They don't know the house. They don't know my dad's house. But to think that God moves in our lives that way, and he does, if we all just open our eyes and see it, was a, an amazing thing. So I want to talk about fathers. And I, I never know what to call this. You know, I just, I, I, get a, I come up with boring titles. But I, I, I thought of the fathers that take you farther. Fathers that take you farther or further, farther. We debated this last night. But anyway, fathers that take you farther. And there's something about being a father in the 
let me go back to the basics here real quick. Men and women are different. How many of you agree with that? So, okay, just, it's science actually, but uh, uh, I'm not a science denier. There's, uh, you're either a man or you're a woman. And, uh, and our generation's having a huge difficulty with that question right now, at least some of them. And uh, I just want to make it clear, because this is on, you know, on the internet, uh, that we believe here that men are men and women are women. And there actually are distinctive characteristics. It's not that men can't do great things and women can't do great things. And there are, of course, we can, there's a lot of crossover in these relationships. There are some things that women can do that men can't do. And typically that's having a child is one of them, birthing out of their own body, this being that grows inside of them. It's kind of strange, you know, wonderfully strange, but strange particularly for men to think about that. And uh, the whole process of how this is all arranged by God. And women are very unique in that way, obviously. And there are things that men are very unique with in, in their lives and in their manner and how they are. And uh, a scripture came up this week that was kind of going around the internet to fit right in with this. And it's Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. So that caught my attention. I'd been studying this anyway because what was swirling in my head was Malachi. The last chapter of the Old Testament speaks to the father-child relationship. And it says something that's really interesting, and then I'll get to my core verse here in 2 Kings, but it says here, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. This is Malachi speaking this. In other words, Elijah the prophet, and we come to know that that's that's not Elijah physically in the flesh because actually John the Baptist was called Elijah, the prophet also. But it's, it's the spirit of what came forth through Elijah. And it says, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he, uh, he will turn, everyone say turn. That's a key word. Because in your heart, you're going to be offered multiple opportunities to turn. It's kind of where we get our word repentance. You know, we change, we turn. Yeah, this is the way we've been going, but we're going to go this way. That's why never get, never get thoroughly in love with your path and who you are. Because God may want to turn you along the way. So be in love with his path for you. And you can turn and move and not say, well, that's just the way I am and I don't change and things like that. No, actually, a good father says, you know, I, I'm probably that way and, and I can change and I can turn. So this move of the spirit called the spirit of Elijah is a move that transforms particularly fathers. And so it says right here, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and hearts of children to the fathers. In other words, there's a connection that's being made. And, you know, sometimes it takes a little longer for the father to connect with newborns. Nowadays, it seems easier. I mean, I, I got to say this about the millennial generation. The guys in this generation, I can say things about the ladies too, but the guys in this generation are, are typically pretty good fathers. I mean, they're, they're learning, I think, from things that didn't happen maybe in their childhood and they're compensating for that. 
and they're understanding and they're getting more involved in it and turning toward that. And I think it's, uh, it's something we can really learn, observe, and, and uh, abide in that kind of thinking. But it says that will happen before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I don't even know what the great and dreadful day is. I, I think I understand that it's the end of times and so forth. But before the end of the times, there's going to be a turning and some kind of unique relationship that is connected bef- between fathers and children. You say, well, isn't that between moms and, kids and child- children also? Well, of course it is. But there's something about what God does through a father that's different than what he does through a mother. And I have theories on it. And I've preached a lot on this over the years. I, you know, I, I hate to see, you can't simplify anything now because then you're, you're being judgmental about and you're being non-inclusive in, in who someone is, either male or female. But I gotta tell you, I really believe the main thing that women bring into children that are being raised is a nurturing ability. There's something in how women are that naturally nurture, and again, not saying that men do not nurture, but they're the dynamic. Women are the dynamic. I mean, they're the, they're the ones who birth this child, and that's why I've always believed that women make great prayer warriors because they know how to birth things. They know how to bring, they understand the timing and the rhythm of life and what happens and, and the gestation period and everything else. And they're more apt to wait for things and understand the process. Men are, you know, they grab a hammer to do a screwdriver's job. I mean, sometimes we just gotta get it done, you know, it's just that's, that's what guys are like. And I know not all guys are like that, but generally speaking, that's kind of the way we are, you know. And so it says there will be this time with the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Well, a lot of times we read this passage and we leave that last part out. But it, it's now not just instructive, it's a command. It's like it's time that we step into the role of being what father, the intention of fathers is to create a bond with our children that is actually a part of a blessing, a prophetic blessing out of the Old Testament. So every time you reach out to your child, every time, every time, even as they get older, you know, they, by the way, you're never not their father, you know, and so as we see in the last scene there, you know, on the phone as the consultant, that, that typically happens. And if it's not happening, there may be some, some breach in the relationship. And with, with all my kids at one time or another, in their adult lives, they're now, you know, I don't know, 31, 33, they're, they're all turning right now, 31, 33, 37, 39. And uh, so they're all in their 30s. And uh, given in their 20s and 30s, since they've been out of high school, there's a new relationship, a new dynamic. It takes a while to get that, you know, the rhythm of that. You know, and you learn how that you're not in control of their lives anymore. You don't have to tell them everything to do. And the relationship kind of reverses where they uh, will call if needed. That's how it turns out, you know, once they leave. And, uh, and there's times where you feel more distant, times where you feel more close. But a father actually is the uh, navigator of that relationship. So there's times when there's distance for whatever reason that you become the one that's inserted into that relationship to create reconciliation, to create closeness, whatever it might be. And, and I know from the nature of fathers, sometimes that's hard to do for whatever reason. Uh, I think because of the way we've been trained or taught or, or sensed or whatever. But there's a, 
There's a transition of the heart because it's the turning of the hearts of the father to the hearts of the children. He is after men's hearts to shape them to be the father, to be a representative of what Father God is here on earth. I know that's a big call. But hey, moms, moms have to be like Mary and we've got to be like Jesus, you know. It's, uh, you know, we, we love one another in unique ways according to Scripture. And there's something required of us spiritually, each one of us, whether we're a father or a mother. But today on Father's Day, I know there's a process. You know, my dad, you've heard stories many times. There he is up there in the middle. He became, he was a pretty rough and tough guy. And uh, he, um, when he became a Christian, I was 19 years old. So I'd had, I'd had full childhood with him. And, you know, he was a 1950s, 1960s dad, you know. You know, that's where we get, seem to get a lot of the phrases like, pull yourself up by the bootstrap. If you made your bed, you're going to lie in it. I mean, all these things that are, that do not contribute generally to great connection between father and child, you know. I mean, if, if there were ever enough idioms, they emerged in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and probably into the 70s. And of course, in the 60s, with a great revolution going on across America, and a lot of the children were not doing, I mean, there was a, there was a systemic rebellion in kids across America during the 60s. And if you don't know about that, ask your mom and dad, and they'll tell you about that. But it, uh, and it was exhibited in outward ways. Unlike what, I mean, the 40s and 50s, it was, it was flowing pretty normal. Everyone knew their roles, but all of a sudden rock and roll came and everything else, and it changed it. And, uh, you know, I, there are many stories of my dad, and he had difficulty with my hair. He'd be very proud of me right now. It's short. But it used to be down to here when I was a teenager, and he was always upset about it, and my, my, my jeans that had, back then we didn't have holes in our jeans, we had patches on them. So, you remember that, guys? Yeah. Patches on the jeans? And so you'd get these big, whatever, paisley patches, or striped patches, and your jeans would be full of patches, you know? And my dad said, those are horrible jeans. You hold those things up, you can see right through them, you know? And he was just always on me about that. Never real happy. My mom just loved me the way I was. In fact, she gave me the patches. <laughs> and so, you know, I wore work boots. I was a, a product of the day, you know. And uh, uh, I, I remember one time he asked me to pick him up at the airport. It stands up in my mind. And he's, you know, he's, he's a well-known guy in the city and he's dressed to the nines, you know, with his Italian suit, everything, and he wanted me to pick him up because whoever's going to pick him up didn't pick him up. Back then, you could go right to the gate. I know this sounds almost crazy now, but you could go right. Actually, you could go on the plane. They actually let you go on the plane to say goodbye to your relatives and then come back off. I mean, it's just, it's crazy now. Uh, but you go right to the gate. So I'm waiting there at the gate. I had a derby on, my long hair. The derby was his father's derby. I thought he would be excited about that. He was not. And when he got off with his union friends and they came back from some kind of a big uh, shindig that they had out in Las Vegas, I believe, he came back, his son, you know, was going to greet him, and uh, he quickly said, turned to me, and he said, walk behind me. That's what he said. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. You know, so, I mean, I, I don't even think his friends ever knew who I was. 
you know, who's that hippie that's following us, you know, and, and my jeans were all, we wore them all the way to the floor back then. They were bell bottoms and they dragged and they were rags and they were, they were so comfortable though. Wish I had them right now, actually. And of course they would not fit, but anyway, final shirt, the whole deal, you know. And we get out in the car, we sat in the car and uh, I, I'm driving, of course, and he said, uh, hey, don't, don't ever look like that when you pick me up at the airport again. Now I want to tell you something. He loved me, but he had different house rules <laughs> than others, and he was pretty strict, and he was the enforcer of it, you know. But what's funny was I was 19 years old, he got powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit. And when he got powerfully touched, he, he was thrown on the floor in his nice Italian suit, and he rolled around on the floor. He was like 46 years old. He got back up, and he was totally different from that time forward. Caused him a lot of problems in the unions. Because certain things that he did on a daily basis, he could no longer do. And uh, he actually got reelected for another term. And, but I could, I could see the tension in his life as he was walking out Jesus to the fullness and trying to restore himself as a good father. And so I remember he went to Dallas with me one time when I was speaking and, and Mark DuPont was there, a good friend who's on our board here. Mark has a great message on the Father Heart of God and they had workshops, you know, and my dad came up to me. He's a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. At that time, he said, hey, would you, he said, you know, I, I hear you every week at church. He said, do you mind if I go to Mark's seminar? We just want to hear what he's got to say, get to know him a little bit. I said, oh, no, fine. That's fine. Actually, it was a little relief to me. <laughs> Having my dad sit in the front row was was a difficult thing sometimes, you know. Glorious, yet challenging, you know. And uh, so he goes there. My friend Mark preaches on the Father Heart of God. And my dad comes out. And as I've told you this story, probably every Father Day, Father's Day, I don't know, because it was a turning point in our life when our role shifted radically. And he told me, he said, your mother and I would like to take you out to lunch if you don't have anything going on. Because, you know, I was at a conference. And I said, sure, right, let's do that. And so, but I knew something was going on because anytime he says something like that, there's something profound that's going to be spoken of, you know. And so we get out to lunch, we start, we order our lunch and everything, and he looks at my mom, looks back at me, and he says, your mother and I have something we'd like to talk to you about. I thought, oh, shoot, I knew. I knew that. I knew it was coming. And he said, he said, was I a good father to you? What do you say in that situation? I mean, he didn't come to know Jesus till, he was night, till I was 19. So kind of that whole first 19 years, it was kind of rough. You know, it was pretty strict. And there was, you know, he was, uh, he ruled with an, I mean, I knew he loved me. It was never that. He said, let me just tell you a story before he answered that. And he said, you know, my father was born in, uh, I think, 1898. He said, was born in 1898. I said, it was not in his nature to tell me he loved me. He said, but I, but I, I, in fact, I never heard my father tell me that he loved me. He's telling me, this is stuff I've never knew about my father. Like in those 19 years, he never mentioned that, you know. Even when he was a new believer, he never mentioned that. But I started to see him as a human being. It took me a while, but because he was my hero. He was the best man in my wedding. I mean, I, I, I revered him. I honored him. I love him greatly, you know. But it was like, what? You're... You're Clark Kent. You're not always Superman. It was a revelation. And I can't tell you how that opened something in my mind where I started to have compassion with him, to him, 
as a pastor. I started feeling like, oh, dad, that's horrible. You never have your dad say I love you. And, and then I started thinking, I don't think I had that either. <laughs> I think I passed on to another generation, you know. And uh, so we had to talk about it and everything. And he said, and I said, dad, I, I always knew that you loved me. I told him the truth. I said, you know, uh, I, I didn't hear it all the time. It, it really didn't matter. I, I mean, it, it didn't in my world. It was like, I, I didn't need that. A lot of people do need that. Maybe if I'd have had it, it might have shaped my life in a different way. But, but I don't know, I didn't have that. But I said, I knew you loved me. And he says, well, we've always been close and I always really loved you. And if I'd never told you that I love you, I want you to know that I love you. And courses, by that time I was in my 30s. And I am a typical man. I said, hey, Dad, really, it doesn't matter, you know. How about the Browns, you know? What do you think What the Cleveland Browns, you know? It's, uh, you know, these all intimate moments are not kind of something that most men readily embrace. I mean, you're happy for it and you're glad, but it's like it's, it's that awkward moment where like, Dad, just it's fine, you're okay. And he said, no, no, really, I, I want you to know. I mean, he dug in deeper. He would not let me get, he would not let me sidestep this. And we had a major, major reconciliation. It was like sozo, you know, done with your father and your mother right there. And little did I know they were going to, you know, he was going to, tra he traveled with me for a number of years in the late 90s up to his death, really. And, uh, you know, we had a glorious time. And when we traveled, uh, he was a supporter, consultant, encourager. When I got up to get ready to pray for people, he would lay his hands on me in the back room, in the green room somewhere. I'd be getting ready to go out and speak in front of some pretty large crowds. And he'd say, he said, I give you the Father's blessing right now. He said, whatever's in me, I give to you. He was a great speaker. He said, whatever's in me, I give to you. And he said, he'd say, he'd lay his hands on my shoulders, just say, Father, I ask for you to bless him this night. I mean, the, the depth of power that that has when a father communicates that kind of a blessing. He blessed my brother and I years before. My sister was not around when this happened, but he, I'm sure he blessed her too, but he blessed my, father, my brother and I. He had us kneel down in front. He didn't ask us. We did. We knelt down in front of him pretty close to before he passed away. He's laid his hands on each one of us and gave us the father's blessing. I mean, it, it restored whatever was lacking in my soul from those first 19 years. Now, you got to understand my dad to know this. He's hardcore, man. He was a tough guy. And, and so this was a major path for him. It's a major turning in his life. And it is very scriptural. And so we see that hearts of the father to the, to, to the children, children of the father. It's really what has been happening, I believe, over the past 40 years since the, the 70s, especially with the Jesus movement, is he's moving on fathers and the Holy Spirit is reshaping the heart of fathers right now. And if you missed out on that, he's here right now. But he wants you to turn. You've got to somewhere begin to turn and not bring your history into their future. So regardless of what you did or didn't have as a child, you now say, I can tell you one thing, whatever I didn't experience, you're going to experience the blessing, the favor, and the grace from me to you as early as I can. If you're a new father, you know, I, I enjoy watch, kind of tracking Ryan uh, and MJ right now, our pastors in Middleburg, and they have a new little son, Lincoln. He's, I don't know, he's a couple months old. 
But I mean, they're like, they're like typical mom and dad. I mean, there's all kinds of Instagram and Facebook pictures and everything else. But I, I love the fact that Ryan is really moving in a way as a father, unlike what it was that I grew up in. And from the very beginning, knowing you're going to make many errors, we're all human, we're on this side of heaven, but we're on the other side of the cross. We're going to make many errors, but we pour out our hearts saying, I want my child to know their father. I want the father to know the child. You say, what about single moms? And I, I really think about that a lot. It grieves me deeply because there's something that a child does miss by not having a father in their life. And, uh, uh, but I know the grace that God gives to moms that are in that situation that he will provide fathers for that son or that daughter. And he will even give you aspects that are beyond your pay grade, so to speak, to minister and stand in the spot. Because I've seen many young uh, moms raise up awesome young men. And uh, uh, somehow they've been able to do it without the father being in the house. But ideally, God would touch every father and say, look, pay attention to your children. It brings me to this kind of systemic, right now systemic's a big word in our culture, you know, systemic racism, and you hear it a lot, and many people may not understand it. But it basically speaks to the systems we operate in them, that they're, they're at the very core, they're racist, and that, so there's systemic racism, you know, and, and you can agree or disagree with that, but there is a systemic generational uh, issue that we do all have to deal with. If there's been systemic, generational ungodliness in your past, dads, you can stop that. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I don't even want to begin to tell you what my, great, my great-grandfather and my grandfather were like before my grandfather came to know Jesus. But they were, it was, there was evil things throughout our past that go back for generations. And I, you know, I, I can't take full responsibility for what my great-grandfather did. You know, we're learning that in America right now. Hopefully we're learning that. But I, I do know the thing that interrupted it was my four foot 11 grandmother, who I've talked to many times, talked about many times, who was a fiery follower of Jesus Christ and literally changed the history of our family. And so uh, as men, you have an ability. I want to read here. If you look in 2 Kings, I've got about eight minutes left, 2 Kings uh, there's a story of kings. Kings intrigued me. Uh, that's why it's called kings. Because there was a string of kings throughout Israel and Judah that were evil and did evil in the sight of God. In fact, there were more evil kings than there were righteous kings. Do you know how aggravating that must be to heaven? That those who took over the fatherhood of a nation would lead that nation into evil stuff like worshiping idols, uh, offering babies in sacrifice, horrible, horrendous things that happened throughout. And it was generational. It'd go boom, 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 so much so that, that horrible things would come upon them because the, of the, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you engage your life into a life of sin, and so it can be overtly evil or uh, kind of subvertly evil. You know, there's just things that we do. It can go from anger, having anger issues and anger problems, which a lot of men have uh, anger issues for whatever reason. It's something, I mean, men get, women get that too, but men seem to disproportionately get attached with some anger in this generation. 
And so that anger can, we, we know from Jesus that anger is related to murder. And so in your generation, it can be anger. In the next generation, it's going to be bitterness. And in the next generation after that, it can be something horrible. It, it doesn't get better typically. It gets worse from generation to generation because one generation creates seeds of anger in another generation. But here's the good news. The good news is the blood of Jesus Christ is efficacious. It covers everything. It not only just covers it, this is not some big cover-up. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ can rock your father world. It can cause you from your, from your family to project into the future. That's why I'm calling this something like fathers that farther. You know, it's the, it's the pushing forward of generations through one individual turning. And that turning is in you. It's the restoring of the hearts of the fathers, the children, the children of the fathers. When a father makes a move, so what we've got, we've got generational issues in Israel, but all of a sudden the little boy is born named Josiah. Now listen to his father's life, 2 Kings 21, verse 19 through 24. I'm almost done. We're gonna call the fathers up and we're gonna bless them here in just a few minutes. It says, Ammon, who was Josiah's dad, was 22 years old when he became king. That's pretty young to become king. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways that his father had walked and he served the idols that his father had served and he worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now you read that and you're like, wow, what's the common denominator here? His dad. He did what his dad did, walk this way. I mean, that's why children get the gait of their fathers, the movement of their fathers, the way we walk. If my brother and I walk side by side, you'll go, wow, they're wits. I mean, we walk exactly alike, you know. We, we look a lot alike. He's just way older than I am. In case he's watching this, he's way old. He's 71 now, so, but he walks a certain way. I walk a certain way. But it's not just naturally, it's spiritually. You will walk as your father walked if you do not turn. Certain things. I mean, there's things I could say, well, I'm not like my dad. But, but as I get older, I look more and more like him. And as I get older, I act more and more like him from when I remembered him. And I even look at my hands some days and I go, oh, my gosh. These are my dad's hands, you know. I mean, they're, they're not as tough as his were. He had the calluses on his. Mine are kind of soft, you know. But on the backsides that's my dad's hands there. You know, it's like you can't change certain things. I put all the lotion on there I want. It's my dad's hands. And so their behavior and what they do brings fruit in your life that may not be good fruit. And in this case, Ammon is doing all things wrong. But in verse 23, it says, then the servants of Ammon conspired against him because he's, he was a difficult person. And the... And, and killed the king in his own house. So he'd already given birth to Josiah. You know what that means? That Josiah in his young life saw his father killed by his friends. That's a bad beginning to life. He saw what happened. And the people of the land made his son Josiah the king. And then you jump down to 2 Kings 22, and it starts with Josiah was eight years old when he became king. King. That is very young. 
How many of you know an eight-year-old? Raise your hand. Would you want them to rule over you? Some of them do. <laughs> In fact, I think I have an eight-year-old grandson that kind of, uh, yeah, he's got that ability, you know. Josiah, you know. So he's an eight-year-old, so you would, you would expect. He's had no right training from this, this dad of his. He did everything evil in the sight of the Lord. Who knows what Josiah saw in his first eight years? I mean, just it'd be all this despicable stuff. This young boy, if you saw him, you'd say, I know he's king, but he doesn't stand a chance. He's not going to do very well, you know. But something within him wanted to turn from what his father did. In verse 2, it says, and he did what was right in the sight of God. Woo! What happened to that eight-year-old? We need to involve more eight-year-olds in what we do here. Some of them have understanding, spiritual sense that I'm not going to go where my father and my grandfather went. And so it says here, and he walked in all the ways of his father, David. Well, his father wasn't David. His father was Amon, Ammon. That was his dad. No, no, he shifted fathers. He went to Father David. You know who's called the son of David, right? Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me, said the blind man. Jesus was known as the son of David. He was in the lineage of David, the messianic lineage. And so he shifts his lineage from his father, with all due respect, over to a spiritual father, which is David. Every man has that opportunity to say, I'm not going to father follow my father. I'm going to follow my father, David. I'm going to follow after Jesus Christ. And it says, and he did not turn aside. There's that word turn. Turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That radical shifting, which my father did, when it came to his attention that he heard a sermon and got contemplating about whether he was a good father or not, he could have come out and said, well, you know, that guy doesn't understand. He's younger than I am. He hasn't been through what I've been through. He doesn't know what I know. I'm going to be who I am. I'm not bad. I'm a good father. I'm probably better than what my father was. He didn't do any of that. He turned. He turned. He turned and he tied in to his spiritual father, God and the lineage of Jesus Christ coming into his very veins. And I'm telling you, he took a man that was hardcore and turned him into a spiritual softy. But he, he was always a strong man, though. You know, he would win 100 people a year to the Lord Jesus Christ one-on-one. -on -one. Every year. Oh, up until the year that he died. Everywhere you went, you had to hear my, I had to hear my father preach the gospel to everybody. He'd just go up to random people and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And they go, what? what are you talking about? I mean, before you know it, they'd be there with their hands lifted up receiving Jesus Christ in their life. We'd go to get, take his suits to the cleaners. He'd get into a conversation with the cleaner guy. Before you know it, the cleaner guy is receiving Jesus Christ into his life. We went to Golden Corral, which is this buffet for old people. <laughs> they all knew him. He'd won them all to the Lord. When he died on the big sign on the freeway, it said, Golden Corral, we miss you, Mel. That's what it said on there when he passed away. I got a picture of it. I thought, a whole restaurant <laughs> said, we miss who you are. Because everywhere he went, was the he was a father now. He was a spiritual father. 
And boy, when that flow starts going on, the whole dynamic of the family changes. And so Josiah, even at a young age, understands this, begins to make a turn. And then all of a sudden, he gets curious one day in 2 Kings 23. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read it to you. So the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant. That's the turn. I'm making a covenant, Lord, with you that I'm not my father Ammon's son, but I'm the son of the Most High. St. Patrick did it. His father was wealthy in the fifth century. We read all about him. We have St. Patrick's Day. His big turn in life, he was thrown in prison. He was caught by the enemy and thrown into prison. He'd seen horrible things, people's arms and legs cut off and everything else. He was was only a young man, probably 18 or 19 years old. And he, he gets captured, sent into a prison. His father, who was wealthy, could not buy him out for a long time. I think it was in there a year. And finally, his father got whatever they needed to get him released. And when he came home, they thought he went crazy, but he came home and he had been touched by God in the midst of his experience. He'd had an epiphany by God and he went to his father and I've I've read many accounts of this. He did it respectfully. It doesn't sound respectful, but hey, this was the fifth, sixth century, you know, so let's give him a break. But he he folded up, he took all of his clothes off, folded them up because his father was a clothing maker fold them all up, present them to his father and said, you're no longer my father. I will worship the king of heaven. And he ran off into the woods and they thought he was crazy. He might've been a little bit. But he came back with this, what we now know as a Franciscan garment, which is kind of a rough looking garment with a, with a cord around it. And that's it, the simplicity. He wanted to live in simplicity. He made it clear and that that touched, his father was not a follower of Jesus, even though he was a spiritual man. But that impacted him the rest of his life. That he's choosing now a different father to follow. Not out of disrespect to our earthly fathers, because they may be good in their own way. But I'm making a change. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, I close with this. He says this, I make a covenant to follow the Lord. Keep his commandments, keep his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart and performed the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people took a stand for the covenant and then he went and he went on a rampage against false idols. He, he, here, I'm just giving you the words that were spoken. He took a stand, he burned them, he removed them, he brought them out, he tore them down, he broke them, he defiled them, he removed them, he pulverized them, he threw their dust, he burned their bones, he took it away and he put it away. This is what guys do. Guys are violent when they get spiritual, but not against their wives or their family. <laughs> against the idols that would come into their house, they get vigilant. They get violent. They become protectors in their own house. I just tell you guys today, I go, you cannot, a guy cannot take water in the basement. I mean, women don't like it either, but a guy has to do something about it. You know, and nowadays it's calling someone up, going on Angela's, Angela's, what it be? Because you know it's a destruction for the home. It's gonna bring mold with it. I mean, guys are always aware of what's, because this is what fathers do. They're aware of what's being influenced into the household or into the family, and they immediately get it out. And I don't mean, I don't mean they're mean, I just mean they're focused. So you can't have water in your basement. You can't allow insects in your house. That spider, did you see that guy killing the spider up there? I know women can do that, I get it, but typically that's a guy's role. 
Cindy still says, there's a spider in the basement. I'm like, they live there. It's fine. I've seen them before. You don't say that. Where is it? Somewhere down there in, the, in your exercise room. And then I get down there. I walk down. Oh, my gracious, this is ridiculous. Take my Kleenex with me or whatever. But I get in the room. I'm like, where is it? I don't know where it is now. It's big, though. Size of a quarter. Oh, no. You pull the table. You pull the, there's a little bed there in the room. I pull that bed out. You know, I look around. I look under the bed. But I'm always waiting because I know they move fast. You know. So, yeah, be quiet in the front row, please. <laughs> yeah, Cindy had a bad experience when we were on vacation and she woke up at three in the morning with a spider in her hair. Yeah, a big spider. It was Italy. It was like this big. I saw it. It came out of her hair onto the bed and it came over like, come on. So I tried to get a hold of him. I switched him over on the floor and he ran immediately under the bed. We didn't see him again and we didn't stay there the rest of the night. We slept in the car, which is the first time we've done that since we were first married, I think. We slept in the car, and let me just tell you ahead of time, you, you don't sleep well in a car. I just, it didn't happen. But anyway, so what do you do? You, you take care of things. You work things out in the house. You, you know, if, if your marriage starts to move adrift in some way, a father, husband, needs to recognize that and move on it. Don't wait for her to solve the problem. You may be the problem. She may be the problem, but you're going to find out what it is. You're going to go to counseling. You're going to get help. You're going to get prayer. Why? Because this is invading your, your space. Your rela- you cannot allow your children to wander. You really, I'm talking about up until they're 18, obviously. You need to get, have to go after them. I've had to go after my children sometimes. I've had to seek them out, draw them back in. I mean, it's what fathers do. You know, you, you cannot live a mediocre spiritual life. You are following a father that is better than that. And the very power of the Holy Spirit is upon you to stand as a man proud to be a father and saying, I protected my household. I protected my children. I'm not talking about lockdown where they don't get to experience anything in life. I mean, obviously there's a rhythm to this, but you sense, you know, you feel. And by the way, wives are much better at discerning some things like this. And sometimes you need to confer with them and say, what are you sensing about this? I think this is going on. Fathers though are the executors of it. They go out to deal with it. They call them back. They bring them back. They establish right relationship. Let's all stand together if we could. (laughs) Yeah. I love the passage in James that says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And when things try to invade your life. Fathers learn how to move like a heavenly father, to know when to to move in mercy and grace, how to be saturated in that kind of a thing. And just love as, you know, setting a new standard of what, in fact, there's a verse here. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Yeah, the one about father of lights that I quoted earlier, verse 18 of James 1, it says, Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God wants fathers to help shape new creatures 
these children that are growing up, that they will stand in the world and they will stand out because you can tell they were, they were raised in a stable, strong, truthful environment. And they will always stand out in the midst of culture. We are fish that swim in the opposite direction. And we are raising fish that will swim in the opposite direction. At the head of that pack needs to be a father. Father is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're here today and you're a father, feel free to come up here right now and just stand. We want to pray over you. We've got a free gift we want to give you, but we want to bless you. All fathers, those visiting, you know, we're not going to, it's not a trick. <laughs> we're, just, we're just getting you up front so that we can pray for you and we can just congratulate you. Yeah, come on up, guys. Look at them. That's great. Let's, let's thank them for being good fathers. <laughs> wow, this is great. Yeah, wow, that's great. We're, this is good. Good amount of fathers. Older, middle-aged, younger. Andre, you're here. So raise, your, raise your hand, sir. I talk about Andre periodically. We're, uh, Andre's a great guy. He's, in, uh, he's studying to be a podiatrist, and I see him at Starbucks studying all the time. So I stop and pray for him, joke with him. We have good conversations. We, he's become a very, very good friend. I just bless him. He's doing all of that with children. And he's doing a great job from what I can see. So we want to bless these guys. This is really good. I mean, I love the fact we've got all these dads up here. And uh, I think we can do something with these fathers. It's, this is, uh, we love you guys. We just, I want to bless you. We're giving you, we've given out so many things over the years, you know, and I, it's like, by the time this service is over, guys are hungry. So we're giving you something, <laughs> giving something to snack on. Notice we didn't give it to you at the beginning of the service because we'd heard the packages the whole time. So everybody just stretch out your hand toward them, which are all the non-fathers out there. <laughs> stretch out your hand toward them. Let's just bless them. A blessing is something you speak over someone that is a preferred future. You can speak over someone that has a horrible life and bless them. And, and what's cool is the Lord partner, when he partners with it, it becomes prophetic. In other words, we can bless someone into change. And so we're going to bless them. We've got great fathers up here, and we bless them right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. I bless them with the ability to know how to turn and keep turning into the flow of the Father God over their lives, Lord God. I bless them, Lord, with an ability to love their children in ways they've never loved before. Even when their children go awry, do strange things, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a, a sense of the mercy triumphing over judgment, that they will learn in their hearts how to apply mercy and grace and how to love and how to be physical by just touching a shoulder or touching a head and blessing the little toddlers and being with them and playing ball or whatever they want to do, Lord. I just, I pray, Lord, you would give them that ability to love these kids and to see the future of their children and to undergird that encouragement that they would see magnificent champions emerging out of their households because of them. We thank, we're thankful for the moms, obviously. We had that about four weeks ago. But right now it's Dad's Day. And so I pray, Lord, for that uniqueness of what a father brings that they will turn into that and become that father, a son of David, 
a son of David. And I bless them right now that on this day, they will feel it in their soul that they are righteous. That they're righteous. They've been blessed with righteousness. That they are holy before the Lord. We bless them with holiness, purity, standards. Not some legalistic kind of a thing, but holy standards, Lord. We say, no, 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 you can't do that. It's just not right. It's not godly. And they will be vigilant about it, Lord. We bless them as warriors in their household. Not to bring war to their kids, but to bring war to those things that would try to influence their children. I give them a grace and a blessing to go after those things and to produce peace. I love that verse, the God of peace. It's, it's the violent peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I believe that you're gonna crush some things that are tempting to influence your children. Keep them out so that they can be raised up in a righteous standard. And we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank these guys again. Just thank them for it. Good job. Good job, guys. You may be seated. Thank you.